Hello everyone and welcome to the show. My name as always is Mike. Uh, today I, you know, I was uh, cruising around online and looking at various uh, movie reviews and discussions and there was something that uh, was popping up particularly when it came to the franchises of Star Wars and Star Trek. And that was the discussion, the question of lore. Some people were saying it's very important, and other people were saying it's not that important, it's just a show, it's just a movie, what have you. Uh, when it comes to something like this, I, I really think that uh, there needs to be a discussion. My point of view when it comes to lore is if you're doing a one-off, one movie, one particular episode, or what have you, then is lore all that important? In the case of the movie, uh, not really. You can be fairly shallow with the lore. It doesn't. You just need to get a story and characters and their involvement with one another and with the story you've created and get them moving, some kind of goal. When it comes to a TV show, well, not so much, because you're going to be doing this uh, episode by episode. So unless you're doing something that it takes place in the real world, i.e. something like Friends from the 90s or really uh, The Big Bang Theory, lore isn't necessary. You just need to know about the characters. Uh, however, if you're doing a show or film and you want to have it take place in some kind of fantastical realm, i.e. sci-fi or fantasy, then yes, absolutely, lore is critical. It's critical in order for the audience watching your work to be able to understand what things are, what everything is. If you've ever watched a film or a TV show or even say like a, an anime, for example, a great example for to introduce characters to lore is the, the dreaded exposition dumps in which a character just kind of spills forth like a broken dam of all the exposition to the character who, if it if you ever gave it a second of a thought, this person who lives in this world should already know these things. So it comes off as clunky. Or you'd get the text crawl, Star Wars... Uh, was famous for this to give you some backstory, but it didn't give you deep lore. It wasn't this long book. It was just setting up the story. It works, but it's still a bit clunky. When we're talking about deep lore, we're not we're not going to go that we. Okay, let's start again because I'm getting off off track here. When it comes to lore in film, if you're planning on taking this film idea and expanding it to multiple films, i.e. a franchise, 
and you're going to be taking place in a distant place with very different peoples, i.e. the alien species, for example, as well as new technologies, cultures, things of that sort. There needs to be a way to explain these things to the audience so you know what's going on. And if you're creating it, you have to know in the back of your mind how everything fits together. This, in a general way, this is how a lot of audiences will look at it because if they don't have those cues, they'll be really confused. But if you have a compelling characters and stories as well as some information to give them context into the stories that you're watching, what you'll end up finding is these fans will start looking for those cues the next time out. So if you do another film, this is far, far more prevalent in TV shows. TV shows need to be grounded in a reality that is created for their universe. The great example, of course, is Star Trek. And what happens when you decide to go against the lore? The reason the lore is in place in something like Star Trek is to give you an explanation of how things used to work and how they work now. That was the overall use of lore with that show. And with the subsequent shows up until about Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard. Though I will say that uh, Enterprise, the, the last Star Trek outing, didn't really help its case because it also broke lore on several occasions and quite egregiously to the fans. But why should lore be that important? It's the grounding. It's a way for future writers and directors to look at it and have a framework on how everything works. And if it's a franchise and it's popular, it's a framework for the audience. They don't need to have that explained, so you don't have to try and come up with a way to explain things. It's already known and understood. This is how it works. How do starships travel from one place to another? In the case of Star Trek, they used warp drive. If you're a person who never watched Star Trek, that's going to be kind of confusing, though they're like, okay, so yeah. They use this thing called warp drive, and they go from warp speeds from one to nines and maybe exceed nine a bit and get to a place with relative speed oh it takes it's telling them at warp factor five it takes 12 hours to reach the destination okay i get that but then you have all of the various other things that you can explain within lore that you put forth. How cultures work um, with themselves within their own cultural frameworks and how those cultural frameworks work with other cultural frameworks. So you have a good idea of how you can kind of place and who is the most appropriate. For example, we'll continue to use Star Trek. The great examples from the original series was the Federation. The Federation is made up 
of lots of different planets and lots of different species all working together. Uh, in the 60s at the time, the Federation was kind of an analogy to the United Nations or to NATO. Different groups working together for a common cause. And then you had the antagonist for the original series, which was the Klingon Empire. This very monolithic, one thought, one group control that was their opposition. And they were the, ana the analogy for uh, the Soviet Union. The evil empire versus the scrappy, the scrappy collection of allies, basically. And that was the frameworks. You could also kind of extrapolate it as, you know, the Allies versus the Axis, but doesn't quite work the same. Because uh, really, for the 60s, the big threat of the time was the Soviet Union, and that's who the Klingons are based on. So, but now you have, and the, you know, the Klingons were very, at that time, were not well fleshed out. They were just caricatures, stand-ins for the Soviet Union. And everyone kind of understood them to be that, specifically. Just stand-ins for the Soviet Union. Then comes along the next generation, and they're giving more character, more nuance to the sides because of the things that have, you know, been added to the lore based on the films. So now the Klingon Empire, you get much more a much more fleshed-out group of peoples, you now have the Klingon Empire, instead of just being these caricatures of the Soviet Union, they now have a much more uh, rich and diverse setting to themselves. They are a peoples of honor. They think of themselves as warriors and a warrior society. And the idea of clashing, it's very uh, Viking-esque. It's very uh, North uh, Norse, I should say. It's very Norse in their thinking when it comes to a religious belief. They don't have a god, they have a prophet. And the greatest attainment a warrior could, could gain is dying gloriously in battle and going to Stovokor, their version of Valhalla. So you can already see there's some quite a bit more dynamic and dynamism to the culture and it makes them far more interesting, rather than the original series, which they were just, you know, stand-ins for the Soviet Union. So they were very, uh, since they were caricatures, they were very much like uh, cardboard cutouts. But now with something extra in there to give them more depth, more nuance, they're more interesting. And with these more interesting twists and nuance added to them, they're far more fascinating, a group of people, which is why there are people who reg regularly go to Star Trek conventions, they dress up as Klingons. The Klingon language is has become something that people have learned. It's a full language. People really are interested in the cuisine and culture of a fictitious people. That's really an, a testament to what people are able to do when they're invested in the lore. Lore is something that can really grab the attention of an audience and suck them into the world, give them real an immersive feel 
for the universe, this world, this fictitious place you're creating in order to get them in, suck them in, and get them really interested in what's going on. It's a fabulous tool, and it can be used to great effect if you put the time and effort into it. Star Wars was the same way. They, they, it was this vast, vast section of space, this huge galaxy that you were going hither and yon, great wars and battles, incredible moments of history for this fictitious period, for this fictitious existence that was created. And it's even deeper than Star Trek lore by a long shot. And it, you are able to get information on all the various species, and you get to learn, and you become invested, and you want to know more and see more, which is why Star Wars and Star Trek fans, for that matter, are rabid fans. They absolutely devour great content from these franchises. And, who's to, and who can blame them? I mean, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating when you're able to kind of, oh, you know, I remember seeing, you know, this alien in this particular scene. What is that thing? And there is information. Information that the showrunners, quite a lot of the writers, will actually create and have to, in order to fit into the framework, create backstories and information for them. Because you never know, you might be able to use them again somewhere down the line. Hey, it's entirely possible. You can take this particular species, you flesh it out a little bit, and put it out there. And you know what? Maybe the next season, or two seasons from now, or even another show entirely within the vein could use this species as a protagonist, as an antagonist. And you have a great framework in order to work with it. But then you get some folks who don't see the value of lore. They just don't see it. They don't really understand what the lore's for, or they think it's just for the nerds to just quibble over and complain about. And that's not really true. Yes, people will you know, argue back and forth about small points all the time. That is a given, no matter what you're talking about. When you are really talking about, is you don't you don't see the value in it, and it's just because someone is bitching and moaning about it online somewhere in a Reddit post or on Twitter. <clears throat> Let me get some coffee. So the, and this talking about lore and how invested audience members get into it really uh, goes to the heart of why you see such enormous fan backlashes when it comes to a show going against the lore and why it why you really as someone you know from the outside looking in for example if you're not a member of a Star Trek or Star Wars fandom this is a good way of getting an idea of why people are so angry when shows break the lore. And we'll use this as an example. We'll use uh, the Star Trek example first, and then we'll 
talk about the Star Wars example. The Star Trek example, you know, we had during uh, Enterprise. There was minor uh, lore issues, mainly with uh, time frame, because the timeline within Star Trek, we're excluding the Abrams movies altogether, the Kelvin timeline. We're just going to exclude them. The standard timeline, the original, or I don't know what they call it, the uh, Roddenberry timeline, uh, or stand, just, we'll just go standard timeline, leave it at that. But the standard timeline, you had specific events that were already placed out because the writers were able to write in a date of when a particular event happened and what it was called and what it entailed and how long it lasted. And then once that initial date was created, it was reused and reused over other shows and you know episodes and shows. And it established a pretty continuous timeline. And then you had Enterprise that came out and a n rather large moments of history within the Star Trek world were changed, shifted, moved around, or kind of disappeared altogether. And when, when you have something like this, when you have something that has been established for so long, this is pretty jarring. And it's like, well, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why are you saying that this thing that had been for years discussed and talked about, and this is what had happened, and so on and so forth, and now all of a sudden you're telling me, ah, nope. That, that tells fans that there's someone who isn't doing their homework, that isn't looking at all of this work that went before. And when they see this, they think this is just carelessness or uh, apathy when it comes to the work they're doing and what people want when they're big fans of these shows is they want to see that they are as passionate about the show as they are they don't want to see someone who's completely apathetic but then you get into discovery which had huge changes not just to the lore but to the uh, look of many things uh, according to the lore and to previous shows, uh, the original Enterprise, the Enterprise of Kirk, was the latest and greatest of Starfleet's ships. It was the Constitution class. It was the big warship that they had created for the war against the Klingons. And it was the top of the line. Hence, that's why the Enterprise, especially as uh, time goes on, really becomes uh, emblematic, becomes a flagship to Starfleet, and that's why the next Enterprise that was in Next Generation was in fact the flagship for Starfleet. It was considered the ship. Now you have this Star Trek Discovery, you have the ship that the eventually the, the Discovery, and it's this massive ship, absolutely massive. And people were like, well what's the big deal? I mean, it's not that big a deal. It is because this is taking place prior to the events of when of the original series, of when Kirk becomes captain of the Enterprise. Because prior to that, we have from past shows the fact that it was Captain Pike who was captain. And then 
an episode in which he goes away. In fact, he was uh, the captain of the Enterprise for the pilot of the original series. And then he's replaced by Kirk. But if the Constitution class, the Enterprise, is the pre pre predominant ship of the fleet, how the hell does Discovery fit in? So already you have this huge issue. And then you have other other uh, major changes, you know, species that we've never seen before that were never established, and then taking an established and fairly iconic species and radically changing them and not really giving any explanation just because the showrunner didn't like the original look. Well, you need explanations for this. There wasn't any given because no fucks were given. They didn't care. They just wanted to make their own story. That's where it comes around. And Picard absolutely shits the bed and absolutely throws out everything when it comes to lore, which is why I don't consider it a Star Trek show. It's just run-of-the-mill sci-fi. It's sci-fi cynically painted with Star Trek to bring people in. But that's enough Star Trek. Now let's get into a little bit with the Star Wars controversies. So you had the prequels, the originals, and then you had the sequel trilogy, the Disney trilogy. And the Disney trilogy starts off with uh, The Force Awakens, which honestly, in my personal opinion, is pretty lazy. Because all it really is, is a rehashing of A New Hope. That's what it is. It's just a rehashing of A New Hope. Then it's And it's done, I mean, beat for beat. All they did was change a couple of things. In fact, that was uh, the explanation when my wife and I went to go see it in theater. We came out and we were having dinner, and I and she asked me what I thought of the movie, and I said, I'll explain it to you this way. Not Luke on not Tatooine discovers not R2-D2, and uh, they go and they join the not Rebellion fighting against the not Empire and destroy the not Death Star. That's what it was, beat for beat. And I did not care much for it. I thought it was just, I understood why they did that, because they needed to get some uh, goodwill back because of the less than stellar performance of the prequels. But then you get Ryan Johnson, who c does not care at all about this story, the, the timelines, doesn't really care about any of it. All he wants to do is put his mark on a film. There's a lot of ego involved with him, and with most directors, let's be honest, and that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to make a film, and it ended up being this weird thing in which everything's set up by J.J. Abrams, he, he didn't bother following up on. He actually just pissed that all away so he could tell a story he wanted to tell, and it ended up really being the most divisive of those films because... There were some people who were looking at it and were just, I, I don't know if they're like Ryan Johnson fanboys or not, but it seemed there were a lot of people who were just going, yeah, it's awesome, it's great, yeah. And then you had other people who were just horrified and said, this is an atrocity. And I'm going to admit to everyone that, uh, yeah, I watched it and, yeah, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. No surprises there. I didn't much like 
the, the Force Awakens, I really didn't like Johnson's take on it. And then J.J. Abrams coming back and trying desperately to clean up the pieces of Ryan Johnson mess even though he says in many art oh no that's not what i did it's not what i oh bullshit that's exactly what he did that is exactly what he had to he had to ryan johnson fucked him and there's no ifs ands or buts about that he just fucked him and so he had to try and desperately take all of the broken pieces of what he was starting and trying desperately to glue them together and he just didn't have all the pieces which is why we ended up with Spoiler alert, Palpatine as our big bad the whole time. Oh, right. So, yeah, the entire Disney trilogy, I think, falls flat on its face. It's, sure, they made their money, but they kept progressively making less money at the box office. They still made bank, but they were making less and less every step. And when it comes to that, Disney doesn't really care too much about it not making all the money at the box office because they're not looking at it as an, that kind of film they're, they're not looking at it like say Universal Pictures does they're, not, they're looking at it more as getting excitement for their new theme park Galaxy's Edge they're looking for attendance numbers there they're looking for merch sales that's what they're really looking for they're hoping to really get people hooked into this so that they can sell more merch because they can see where the money really is with these films it's not in the box office the box office is just you know cake the real icing is all that merch that's what they want. They want people really excited to buy their merch. And, hey, you know, the movies did pretty well at the box office. Progressively worse with each iteration, but they still made bank. But the merch sales? Eh, no. <laughs> they they tanked. They absolutely fucking tanked. Bits and pieces. It's kind of like with Ghostbusters. That's what Sony was hoping for. They were really hoping for merch. Merch sales. And their merch sat on shelves and just began to rot. Because no one wanted that shit. So, lore. This is why people get so worked up, so angry when a, a long-running show or a long-running film franchise absolutely disregards, throws out all the lore. You've gotten all these fans be, because the, sh the original shows were interesting. They were fascinating and then they had all of this additional lore that these rabid fans were able to consume and look at and read about and it was great material to really get them invested that's where a lot of people are really failing to understand from the filmmakers and showrunners to you know the casual fan this was a great tool for those who were wanting to build up a great franchise. It helps writers, yes. It helps authors for books when you when you know they want to do a book series on your property. That's fine. That's a great framework. What it's really good for, what it really is good for is getting you know fan, casual fans who are interested hooked in and making them real big fans and really getting them invested. And it translates into customers who are willing to go and see 
your show, your TV show, your all the episodes, your movies, and buy your merch, as well as anything else that comes around. Are they seeing that now? Prop are those showrunners? No, they're they're not. They're really just stuck in. This is what I'm doing, and it's artistic, and damn the consequences. It's the people who are bankrolling all of this is going to look around and go, uh, you are really fucking things up for us. Maybe you need to stop. So, well, that's my particular take on it, and that's kind of how I wanted to answer, at least for folks who were just not, oh, what the hell's this lore for anyway? It's just a show. Yes, it's just a show. It's just entertainment. But the lore helped make these people really big fans because it was so in-depth and so interesting. And it made this world feel alive for a lot of people. You know, I'm a huge story guy. I love story. And if you give me details, I'm a little more invested with every chunk of bit of detail that I get a hold of and it's like oh wow and it be and I can really start seeing in my mind how things work and operate it makes fans far more appreciative of that and it makes more in, it makes more interested fans and it makes much more rabid fans people who are far more eagerly waiting to lap up what you're able to produce so long as you continue to follow the lore and when you don't the numbers tend to speak for themselves. But, you know, that's my take. You know, you could have a completely different take than that from me. And, you know, at least maybe this will maybe get spark a discussion and you might, if you're from the outside looking in, get an idea. But, you know, hey, who knows? But that's my time. So I'll catch you all next time. Stay safe out there. And talk to you again real soon.